Welcome back to another episode of the Development by David podcast. This week was another in-studio podcast over at Rebel City Podcast. Thanks to the wonderful Paul Shields. And today's guest is a magnificent one. It's Rich Davies. Those who live and socialise in Glasgow might be aware of the Abandoned Ship Bar. The bar that's been featuring everywhere online. Social media, TikTok, Instagram, everywhere. But this bar and its name stemmed from an apparel brand that's been around for over a decade. Rich founded Abandoned Ship Apparel 11 years ago from a bedroom with £300 and transformed that into a business that was turning over £1 million, yes, £1 million in sales revenue after year three. Rich comes on to talk about braiding that wave like it had no ceiling, which it ultimately did when the business went into liquidation. He outlays the lessons from that time and how it impacted his mental health but more importantly, how it affected his mental model and outlook on life. And by doing so, he's turned around the Abandoned Ship Apparel brand and established the Abandoned Ship Bar, not only in Dundee, but in Glasgow. You'll be excited to know he's opening a London Abandoned Ship Bar in just over a month's time. We also speak quite candidly about cultural issues too, such as the effects of healthy and toxic masculinity, toxic entrepreneurship, And Rich tells his optimal solution to goal setting. Again, just another belter of an episode. I'm so, so proud of this one and I hope you enjoy it. It's a long one, but it could have been and should have been longer. Rich and I need to do a round two. There were so many stories and anecdotes that we didn't have time to bring to life, but that will come soon. Thanks for listening again. And please, please do me the biggest favour and share into a work group chat or the group chat with your mates or send to an auntie or uncle, friend or whoever. I have some really exciting guests lined up, but for now, the wise and wonderful Rich Davies. Rich Davies, welcome to the Development by David podcast, my friend. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a delight. I said to you via message before we scheduled this that I followed your brand from essentially adolescent to now. I wore your garments on a skateboard on a BMX and now I drink in your bars does that ever get tiresome to hear that people have been part of that entire journey it, it makes me feel a little bit old but minus that no I I, I love it it's um it's great I, there's customers who I'm I've been aware of who have been customers and, and followed the brand for for a, a long time who I've either met um or I just know their usernames um just from running the social media for so long um, but yeah, no, I never get bored of, of hearing that. It's, it's amazing that, um, we're able to be a part of people's lives, even if it's just like dropping in and out over the last decade, just being like, oh yeah, I had a t-shirt seven years ago and no, there's the abandoned ship bar. I didn't know that. I didn't know those guys were still going. I like even that kind of stuff. It's really nice. Like I, I, I still get excited when I see people wearing the t-shirts in the street. If I see a t-shirt or something in the wild, it, it still makes me happy. Do you ever feel compelled to like stop them and speak to them? Like, I, that's my brand. That's my ethos. I've, I've, I have done over the years. Like if I've had a pint in me or something, I'll, <laughs> I'll like say like, oh, nice t-shirt. And like sometimes, most of the time you get like a weird look because there's there's not that recognition. Um, and, but then other times it's, if, if I go to a festival that's uh, maybe more geared towards um, our followership, because obviously my my tastes kind of resonate with the, with the brand um then we'll see like 20 or 30 t-shirts and people come up and speak to you and, and it's really nice and it's uh, that that's again a really enjoyable uh thing but um it's it's probably more of a time and place situation like i i, I wouldn't probably stop someone in the middle of uh, uh in the middle of glasgow and be like oh man shit, that's, me. Uh, that's my I, I i've never never said oh that's my brand do you know who i i've never done that but like i, I will be like oh nice t-shirt 
to bring that to life, mate, we spoke about your t-shirts, talk about the, the, the bars. Who is Rich Davies today in 2021? What are you known for? Oh, uh, what am I known for? Who, who, I, who I am and what I'm known for are probably two very different things. Um, what, what I'm known for at the moment is basically abandoned ship, which uh, I describe as sort of a, a three-tier monster at this point. It's um, obviously the apparel, which has been going for uh, over 10 years, um, which we started in 2011. Uh, then there is the art aspect, which is myself, all the artwork I do, the murals, um, and I do 99% of the artwork for the brand now. Um, and that's been going for about five years. Um, and then the uh, bars, which are the newest aspect of the business, and they've been going for three years. And we have one in Dundee, one in Glasgow. We're about to open Covent Garden in London. Um, and then the plan is to open another nine over the next two and a half years across the UK and possibly further. Mate, super busy. I listened to you on Friend of Friend, Johnny Rose's podcast, about um, the embryonic stages of abandoned ship the power brand and then what's matured into at the point of was it february 2020 it was right before covid yeah like before the first lockdown yeah, yeah. so i was out in his uh, podcast i was saying that i was a bit too relaxed and and i sus- suspected that something was about to happen to uh <laughs> to kick me off my uh my comfort i uh, kept me out of my comfort zone um and within a month uh everything happened we we were supposed to open a bar in london in, in camden um and we lost that unit because of lockdown and um, had to change the way that the, the business worked, the, the apparel business worked. Um, and I just moved to Glasgow and I was I was living in a basement because I planned to like be out of the house all the time. So I spent the summer in a basement with two dogs and my wife, uh, which luckily I like my wife, not just love her. I like her and we had a really nice time together, but it was a, it was a lot of changes and working from home and not being able to be at the warehouse in Dundee because we weren't allowed to leave, the, we weren't allowed to leave our house, let alone the city. Um, so yeah, definitely it was, it was fairly... Uh, fairly ridiculous that I said that and then like within a month everything kind of was flipped on its head. I really enjoyed that episode. What stood out for me in, in that episode though like was your traits of being unconventional and being um, very transparent as well and I was sitting at the other edge listening to that thinking I want to know the part before abandonship a bit more. Can you tell me about like your upbringing what you're like as a child uh, and you're kind of you grew up in Dundee right what was life like back yeah. then? Yeah, my memory is terrible, so I'll try and uh, I'll try and link in, <laughs> try to remember what I can. Um, on the transparent part, I think that that's always just been something that I found is important. Um, I'm less so outspoken about my own personal situation and and my, my personal life now than I was maybe uh, five or six years ago, where I, everything was sort of I was an open book, business and personal. Now I'm trying to sort of pull myself back a little bit, just because as I get older, I just want to have a little bit of privacy but the the business is pretty much a, an open book still um but from from a, a point of view of, of of before abandoned ship uh yeah grew up in dundee um i was I, I used to draw all the time when i was a kid um so i would draw like space vikings and i would like I, well you might be too young and people who are listening might be too young but you used to get those reams of uh, printer paper that were all connected and had like the uh like the, the bits of the side and uh, my, I use my dad's uh, printer paper and I basically just draw countless pages of these like space Vikings and they all had names and different attributes and, and, and stuff. And it was, it was intense. Um, and that's just like one project that probably spanned like six months when I was a kid. So I was just constantly drawing. Um, probably I, I was, I always got in trouble in school for like talking too much. Um, 
and then throughout my school career, I, n- I never did homework. Um, I don't really know how I got away with that. I, I genuinely never did homework, like especially in the latter years. Um, I got thrown out of my art department because I didn't like the way they were teaching it. And obviously being an arrogant, like 15, 16 year old, I was like, I know the best way to draw and the best way to do this. And it's not true, but there was just a very much a, a disconnect from the way that schools were teaching art and the way that I wanted to enjoy art. And even looking now, like the career that I've got now, it wasn't, that wasn't possible 20 years ago when I was in school. Um, so I think that there was always just gonna be that that disconnect for me. Um, so I, I failed, I purposely failed my art exam and then got thrown out of art. Like I, there was, there's a written part of the exam um, and I just didn't write anything on it and just <laughs> left. I just yeah but it's it, it's it's funny now but just I look I just think back and I'm like oh, well we asked we should just <laughs> I like it, it could have been so easy just to do it and then I would have had a grade um and then I decided in my in my sixth year I stayed on um and in my uh three periods I actually created a, an art, a portfolio to go to art college um and I got in um I got into university to be a primary school teacher which would have been a very different career path for me I deferred that went to art college and then I dropped out after two weeks because I hated it as well, because it was the exact same issue that I had with school. I thought I knew better and, and they wanted me to draw oranges and I didn't want to draw oranges. <laughs> and it was just this thing. And and now looking back, I go, well, what they were trying to uh, give me was like a base level of understanding of how to draw things so that I could get better because uh, you can't rely on um, sort of natural talent. You have to sort of cultivate what you're doing. And that didn't really come to me until the last sort of six years where I've been drawing pretty much every day constantly. And now I'm kind of getting to a point where I feel more and more comfortable with my art style and stuff. And maybe if I'd listened to them more, I would have uh, come to that much earlier in my life. Um, and at that point, when I started college, I got a job in, uh, in shoe, um, the shoe shop, um, like a four hour contract. And then I was just, that was kind of like my introduction to going out and partying and, because all the uh, people I worked with were a bit older than me. So I would, I would 17, I'd go out with them all the time. And then I'd pick up all their shifts when they were hungover. <laughs> so I ended up like doing like 30 to 40 hours a week on a four hour contract. And I was just earning a little bit of money and like just living in this like total like little bubble for a while. Uh, and then my, uh, my dad had a stroke when I was 18, um, which was a pretty sort of massive shift in my uh, understanding. I kind of went from a bit of a, like a spoiled kid who had like a, who had someone who could fight my battles and I just lived in this little bubble. And then all of a sudden it was kind of like pulled up, rugs pulled out from underneath me. And that kind of really uh, affected the way that like my, of my early twenties, um, because his, uh, his model was, if you're going to do something, be the best that you can at it. And I think with, with all that happening, I kind of took that to heart. So very quickly after that, I kind of went from okay, well, I've got a four hour part-time contract right now. I want to be a manager. If I'm going to be in retail, I'll be a manager. Um, and within three years, I was a store manager in London um, of a shoe shop called A Regular Choice. Okay. Um, which was crazy. I would just like, I just hopped from different businesses, picked up all the knowledge I could, absorbed it all, and then just went on and then sort of got a, a, a promotion in the next business and a pay rise. And so I went from sort of part time to full time to uh, uh, sort of supervisor to assistant manager to manager across the country i moved all over i was in aberdeen edinburgh glasgow all over the place and it's just like working 60 70 hour weeks and drinking the other like another 30 hours a week and just like constantly like out and just like just not really living but just like kind of like had this like 
zero in on where I wanted to be um, or where I thought I wanted to be. Um, I ended up moving back from London and going on uh, here working in retail again. Um, but just, I, I think I just fallen out of love with it. Yeah. Um, so like that last, that final year in, a, in retail, um, that was kind of when uh, the beginnings of abandoned ship started because I was very sort of, I was unhappy with in, in my life. I was kind of starting to realize that, you know, you can't just go out drinking all the time and work all the time. It's not really a, there's no balance to that whatsoever. What, um, what the, do you think interrupted that um, phase of employment? Did you think it was like a culmination of never having control because you were told in art school to draw this way and then you're in retail, you're selling other people's shoes, you don't have creative control either. Do you think you had like a kind of glass ceiling in terms of how much being employed fulfilled you? Do you think you wanted to have control at that point? I, I don't know. I think, I think in my early 20s, I was very arrogant and I was... I wasn't, I didn't really think of it that way. I think I just saw it as an escape. And um, even in, in retail, it was very similar to in art school. I thought I knew better. I thought I should be at the next stage and the next stage and the next stage. I was I was running before I was walking. And it's funny because I see those traits in um, people that I work with now or even conversations I have with people. Um, and I see I see the, the faults in that now. And, it, and it's funny because obviously at the time, you don't want to listen to the your, your older peers and and then take it all in. But now I kind of see it and go, well, yeah, you, you need to, you need to sort of slow down. You need to learn this. Yeah. You probably could do the next step, but actually there's the, there's a benefit of taking your time and, and understanding things. And, um, now when I look at it, when I'm, when I, when I look at anything, I go, well, I need to at least do something for a year because I need to like be able to see what happened last year. I need like a year, year on year sort of take on it, especially in sort of retail or in business, you need to be able to see, what you did last year so you can beat it. So realistically, you need two or three years of anything to do that. Um, and I think the funny thing is that I, people, some people might argue, but for me, I found that um, I lost a lot of that arrogance when I started abandoning ship. Like it felt that like there was something to finally be proud of and it actually kind of humbled me um, to a point where I was, I was kind of not sure how to take that success and then ultimately with the liquidation, which we'll obviously catch up to in a bit, but that humbled me a, a second time in a much bigger way again and made everything a bit more real. Um, so it was just this kind of constant learning curve of going, okay, well, now I don't know everything. Okay, well, now I've learned a mistake. I've learned a lesson and actually kind of grown from it. Um, Where was the seeds of abandoned ship placed? And what was your first initial kind of experiences with the brand like? So at the time of starting it, I was living with my original business partner, Duncan, and we were flatmates. And basically he was the, uh, um, the PR manager for the cat house yeah. in Glasgow. Um, so he had a PR and design background and I had the retail background. Um, and he was sort of, he did some merch for the cat house. So he had, he had some contacts and he was talking about starting a brand and me and him were best friends and still very good friends now. Um, and we lived together, obviously. So we drank together a lot and like we would talk about stuff and neither of us were particularly happy where we were at that time. He was a bit older than I was. He's always five years older than me. So he was kind of coming up to the end of where like it's fun to like be the PR for a nightclub. And I was, I was burned out in retail and like it just kind of spawned from these drunken conversations of, yeah, we should do t-shirts. Yeah, we've got this idea. Yeah, we've got this. And like building it all over countless drinks. Um, until it got to the point where really we just had to either go, you know what, we've, we, we stopped talking about it or we just do it. Um, so we put uh, £150 in each, started with £300. We set up a dot-com um, 
we came up with a name. We came up with three designs. I, I had these like three designs in my head. Um, and he designed, he designed them. And like, I would be like over his shoulder being like, oh, can you just make this a little bit different do this? And, um, and we bought those, we bought 25 of each of those t-shirts um, from a printers that we still use in, in Glasgow. And so we still, have, I still have a relationship with um, the, the printers and the suppliers uh, 10 years later. Um, and yeah, we, we, we started all that. We pretended that we were a bigger deal than we were. This is, this is before Instagram. So Tumblr was the big thing. Um, and we just put the t-shirts out um, and our first sale was in America, which is wild because we didn't even know how to ship anything <laughs> to the UK, let alone America. Um, and then, yeah, those, those t-shirts kind of picked up and we saw, we sold all 75 of those t-shirts and we used that money to put, to buy another hundred t-shirts. Then we did the same, we did the same. We just built up organically over the fir that first year. Um, Why t-shirts though? Like, did you see a gap in the market and you wanted to create clothing that you wanted to wear that didn't already exist? Or was it just a side hustle where you can no, make some money? It was, it was, we weren't, we weren't thinking about money at all. It was, it was honestly, there was just a passion there that, um, so at the time, without going into too much detail, at the time there was kind of like two different schools of, of t-shirts that we were into it was either band t-shirts which were very artist driven but like very complicated and like you, you had to like look at them closely to get what was going on um or there was streetwear which was kind of like starting to like really build up a bit of uh, steam in the uk so you had like the likes of like rebel Eight and um only and obey and stuff like that who were coming through who were all like very like branding heavy um and our big thing when we started, and I guess to a lesser extent, it's always kind of run through the, the business, is that we wanted to create iconic t-shirts that were instantly recognizable from 100 feet away, but didn't rely on branding. Um, we never wanted, we wanted it to be like, that's a cool t-shirt, and you know what it is without getting too close to it, but also not just be like, yeah, let's let's rely on the on the brand. It was always about the art and the design first and foremost, and that's still... Um, if you look at the collection now or look at the collection at any point in our in our history, apart from maybe like one year, six years ago, we barely had any um, logo T-shirts in in the collection. Yeah. Um, it's all based on artwork and it's all based on on that kind of creating a, a, a emphatic sort of uh, message through through the apparel. I've noticed that too. How much of the the designs and the garments that you've produced and other products like alongside the T-shirts? How much of that has been relying on feedback from customers and your peer group, or have you just literally steamrolled it and created what you think is visually appealing? Oh, I hundred percent steamroll it like ninety percent of the time. I, I make stuff that I want to wear or 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 I want to design. Um, it's as simple as that. Like I do listen to customers because there is a level that you have to, um, but there's always a sense of vocal minority, um, which has the most evident example of that is people have consistently and constantly asked for kids wear. And I've done kids wear so many times and it never sells and it always gets discounted. And I hate putting things into discount, uh, into promotion or sale. And so it's always stressful. And every year people ask for it at Christmas and I always just go, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. Um, and it always fails. And it's that thing of going, okay, well, yes, you can listen to people, but just because say 10 people have said they want something doesn't mean that it's actually gonna do anything. You have to trust yourself and what you think will work or what you want to make and yeah I've, I've made loads of mistakes like some stuff i thought wouldn't sell and it's still available because it's a bestseller like constantly like i never found t-shirt i drew that as a warm-up sketch before i was doing something else i posted on social media just to have something to post and it went crazy and i was like right cool okay it's online sorry 
I, I listened to people then because that's like thousands of likes on a picture that I thought was just like a throwaway idea. And then other stuff I've loved and I've known it's not going to work, but I just wanted it to exist, even for me. Um, and then there's stuff like, like we've, we're doing Hawaiian shirts now. And I, I live in Hawaiian shirts in the summer, like unless like now it's in the winter, so it's a bit colder. But like if I can wear a Hawaiian shirt, I will. So to design my own Hawaiian shirts, I, there's a part of me that doesn't even really care if they sell. I just, I just wanted those to exist just so I have them. Um, and I think that when you're, when you're creating something that you believe in and that you love, that resonates through. And even if it's not for everyone, people can still understand, or there's still an aesthetic that might be sort of wildly changing, but it still kind of holds to like a core sort of vibe. Yeah. Um, like Abandoned Ship has done a lot of crazy stuff over the years and a lot of different things. And like, we made cookbooks and blankets and t-shirts and, and fill kitten tracksuits and all this stuff. We've done all that stuff. But I think that realistically there is a thread through that, that you can see, you can tell it's an abandoned ship piece. At what point did the business start booming? Was it after those uh, first 20, was it 25 items after the initial 300 pounds worth of investment? Is that when it just catalyzed or did it take a couple of years until it got well, to the magnitude that, that it ultimately did? Looking at it, looking at it that way, like we like we were exceptionally lucky that we started that way and, and there was an instant take up on it. And because it could, it's, it would, could have gone the other way very easily. Um, we were just in a really good position that uh, Duncan and I were able to capitalize on that luck. He knew how to do the PR and like we could focus on the designs. He had a camera because before like really good camera phones. Um, and I had a lot of tattoos, so it was easy for me to be the model. I'm st still the model, even though I hate getting my photo taken um, because it's just easier sometimes. So like there was all these things that just like aligned and it just made sense. And we were young enough and and hungry enough. And it just, and there was, and, and it just, it was like sort of the, everything came together, uh, came together perfectly. Like, I don't think I could start that, the business the way it is again now. It just, it just was, uh, it was lucky mixed with skill and past experience um but then with abandoned ship i guess the, the 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 real kind of tipping point for me was um in january of 20, 2012 um so like so 10 months after i quit my job and went abandoned ship full-time and then the first week we managed to get a window campaign in a nationwide store um so we had like a, a big like backdrop and like our t-shirts were on mannequins in the window um and that was really when i felt that this is this is the tipping point this makes this this is going to be a thing um because i had to take a massive pay cut to um quit my job and do abandoned ship because we didn't have any money in the bank so we had to work out what i could live off of um so i like went down like half my wage overnight to go and like follow this dream and i moved to leicester because my wife had got a job in uh, uh in leicester's so and I, I followed her so i ran abandoned ship for a year um from the attic room in a house in leicester that I didn't know anyone in the city and I couldn't drive at the time. I wouldn't drive while I was there. And it was all these, and it was just crazy. And it was just like, yep, cool. I'll move to Leicester and I'll take less wage and I'll just be in the city and I'll just sit in my attic every day and like email people about t-shirts and like post stuff on social media. And it was just, um, looking back, it's crazy. It was just like, it was just, it was just constant. It was like a snowball effect. Is that what kept you humble during the times where you would see your own brand in a high street window? Like having that down to earth experience of still living, well, living in an attic in Leicester, not knowing anyone. Is that how you remained humble? Because you still had this kind of 
minimalistic, hungry entrepreneur lifestyle, even though your brand was in high street windows? I think so. I think it was just because we felt like we were faking it till we make it. So it was like anything and everything was, and it was all just so rapid and intense that I think it was just like, oh, I don't know if we're capable of doing this. Like it was such a steep learning curve that there was no time to like be arrogant about it. It was like, oh shit, okay, onto the next thing, onto the next thing. Oh, that didn't work. Okay, what are we going to do now? And um, I just didn't really feel like there was time to really kind of to think about that or to like, or to sort of, I, I, it took me a while to even like sit back and like actually like look back on those days and be like, oh, okay, that was, that was fun. There was a lot, there was a lot of fun stuff to it, but it was just very like intense constantly. At what scale did it grow to at that point? Um, so we, I think with, by year three, we were, uh, we had like a turnover of, um, over 1 million um from 300 pounds what the heck i know it was it was honestly it was wild because we were in like we were in assos and we were in top man and we were in foot asylum and it was like we were like sort of nationwide and we were traveling and doing trading uh, trade shows across the world and like we did photo shoots in new york and iceland and thailand and because we had no idea what we were doing like now i'm going like those first five years i've got nothing financial to show for it but I was in my mid twenties and I was just like, yeah, I want to go to Thailand and take photos of t-shirts. That sounds amazing. And and you know what? It was amazing. I would, I wouldn't give up any of that, but it was just like, um, it was just wild. It was just like, there was no understanding that there's a ceiling to this. Like it was like, it was like someone giving us the cheat code to Sims and you're just like, let's, let's fucking go. Let's just, let's just keep doing it. Um, and it was just, it was amazing. Like we were out like, cause that was like sort of, not that wasn't like my like my biggest partying time but it was like partying with a reason like you we're going to the trade show in berlin and they're like oh those are the scottish guys they party and we're like yeah we party and we're drunk for four days selling t-shirts like i was in vegas once and woke up late for the trade show and went downstairs and i saw i, I did an eleven thousand pound deal still <laughs> absolutely hammered and i'm like how how did we get away with that stuff it's crazy like this honestly it's uh there's like a million stories like that and like I just don't, I don't even remember half of them. Like people like remind me of something. I'm like, oh yeah, crap, we did that. I was like, but like at the same time though, like me and uh, Duncan, we were topping and tailing in tiny hotel rooms and double beds because we couldn't afford to have like two hotel rooms at like points because we were just like, like it wasn't like we we were still being like very frugal, like up until, up until a point where then we had like 20 members of staff. So we're like, we had like wage bills and stuff. And you're like, so you're going, yeah, cool. That. 11 grand deal will uh will kind of keep us going for another month and we will do this and this so it's yeah it's just uh there was just a lot of sort of a lot of extremes and a lot like as i say a lot of learning curves that's that's so wild did you still have creative control at that point when it was that much of a monster when you were in asos and yeah so um so i i described like my first five years of business i described myself as the uh director of making money like it was my job to basically make like make sure that money was coming in because that was my background duncan was more to do with the design the design side of it so for the first five years he um he did a lot of the design work and and sort of he was up in glasgow when i was in leicester and like we went on the road together a lot but like my background was was the retail the wholesale then i would be working with artists so i would i would source out artists and be like this is the concept you want to do it and then doing like the cut and sew and my wife came on and um helped us eventually um with like all the cut and sew stuff so we were like getting all this like crazy stuff made um and yeah it was um my i basically just saw my job as 
just kind of continuing to make things work. And I think that after uh, the liquidation, when it was just myself for a long time, that really was a benefit because I was someone who just wore a lot of hats already, but like I had a team below me before the liquidation. After that, it was just really myself and like one other person. Um, I had to take it right back to the beginning again. And it was, it was quite good because you kind of employ all these people because as you grow, you go, oh, I can't do that job anymore. I need to, I need to focus on the bigger picture. So you put someone in that position and they're maybe not doing it the best way, or you're not giving them enough training to like get them to be the best they can be. So you kind of start losing a little bit of like the, like the small stuff, but you don't want to be like, like man managing everyone. Yeah. Cause you've got all these bigger, these bigger things to do. And um, it was just, it was, it was a lot. Like I was still like in full control of everything that was going on, like making decisions, like, every day like working 60 hour weeks or 70 hour weeks or 80 hour weeks or working every every minute of every day you never I never really switched off um but it was it like they, they did kind of they did get away from us or get got away from me definitely towards the end of that period you said that you were treating life like it or treating the lifestyle of a bandage at the time like i had no ceiling like yes what became the ceiling so basically, uh, year five, we um, we hit uh, we we had some problems with a with a distributor that um, had been working for us, um, and basically, I had a I had a system of of how the wholesale basically uh, made the money for the online. So we didn't necessarily make a lot of profit off of the wholesale business, but the wholesale business provided the cash flow and the means to create the products for the online store. So the online store was basically how we made profit. Um, and without going into all, because obviously it's not all about, it's not about like the actual nuts and bolts of a business, but basically the way that we were doing wholesale, uh, the wholesalers wanted more and more discount of people were taking bigger chunks of that money. So the way that we were funding the online was becoming more and more limited. And then as that happened, we were struggling to like make ends meet. So we were then enacting uh, sales or promotions to try and get fast cash flow because you're like I need to make 10 grand today to pay bills cool how do we do that right let's just do a flash sale um and did that hurt to do that because you said you didn't want to ever discount your products because it tarnished well, the brand this that's a symptom of that period because at the time you're, you're not thinking about the the changes that you're making to your business like you're you're devaluing your entire brand by constantly going to sale because if you're selling a t-shirt for 30 pounds and someone knows that you know, next month they're gonna, that's going to be 15 pounds, then why, 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 why would they buy it at 30 pounds? It doesn't make sense. And it was a vicious cycle. And basically the business just wasn't operate. It wasn't operational at that point um, because we, we just hit a ceiling. We try, I, I tried to take over the world for, for, for the first five years of that business. And I very much, I, I realized that um, it just, it, it wasn't going to happen. Like we just hit, kept hitting stumbling blocks or we kept, or we kept putting money into things that were trying to push it to the next level. Um, and again, a symptom of that is me realizing that it's more important to create a sustainable business and maybe create your own world and your own ecosystem than it is to try and take over the world or to, to make whatever you think the idea of success is at that point. Um, and that's why I think that at the time the liquidation was the hardest thing that I ever went through. It was, uh, it was very traumatic. Like it, 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 affected me for a really long time um, but looking back at it now with with hindsight and, and a bit of distance and knowing what I know now and, and where the business is at now it's probably the best thing that ever happened to the business and it's the best thing that have ever happened to me as a business person why because it taught me um that 
there are consequences and it taught me to really understand the nuances of the business and create something that maybe is is going to last longer and be sustainable and make sense and be and be what I want it to be rather than try and make something be the biggest or what other people think is the best and and to uh um to re- to just to not be honest to myself like and the idea of the idea of going back to 60 or 70 hour weeks sorry the idea of going back to 40 hour weeks for me now is just not appealing um like i've i always had the thing of work smarter not harder um and i lost my way for a long time with it um and when you're in the middle of it you don't realize until you come out the other side and you're like oh, and then you see photos of yourself and you're like wow i was burned out i looked like a skeleton like bags under my eyes constantly it wasn't and then mental health and you go well yeah well you were just running on empty you were either like out drinking for business or you were in work every day and it's it just wasn't it wasn't a a good lifestyle um and i think that for a lot of people who do their own stuff or entrepreneurial even just want to sort of think that they have to get ahead in life and, and and climb a ladder like it's very easy to get stuck into that um way of life and not realize that it's actually detrimental to your health even though i see you on instagram after a long day's work, you'll be in your bar having a pint or you'll be socializing. Do you subscribe to that modern day entrepreneurial narrative of work till your eyes fall out, no. uh, sleep four hours and work the rest? Like, no, no. I had a nap thoughts, before man? I came here. <laughs> I, I nap most days. Um, no, I, uh, the way I explain it to people and to, and to my team is that I will work every hour under the sun to achieve a goal. But that goal has to be set. It has to be a realistic goal and it can't be a conti- an ongoing thing. Set a goal for a month. Okay, cool. I want to achieve this. I wanted to make that, uh, I'd create a tarot deck over the last three years. I had a deadline that I set for myself in January. So during the last lockdown over Christmas and, and January, I was drawing for 10 hours a day to get it done. That's fine because it was a goal. I achieved it. I rested. That's how it has to be. Your day-to-day life, especially now that I'm, um overseeing the apparel um from a little bit of a distance um and i'm really focusing on the art and the creative direction of the bar it's better for me to be less busy because i can actually take a step back and actually create better pieces of work and have better ideas for those businesses than if i'm just in the weeds all the time just thinking about the things that other people can can do for for the business um and i think that's important i think i definitely like that and that but that's come with uh years of hard work and years of like mistakes and learning and like i'm in a i'm in a privileged position that i had a great upbringing and i had a support system and i could go at it and it's very easy for me to sort of sit here at um, almost 35 after a decade of work um and go yeah i nap and i only work 20 hours a week and i i can have time to step back like it took a lot to get to this point and like i i i'm i'd never take it for uh uh, for granted and I, and I know that is a, a, a place of privilege um because I think that some people who'd like the four-hour work week and stuff I think that a lot of that is nonsense in the sense of if you wanted to start clothing brand today you wouldn't be able to just sit back and, and do 20 hours a week you'd have to do more than that but that's where it comes down to setting goals and understanding that and taking the time off and and managing that properly I'm glad to have the opportunity for you to outlay that journey on the podcast because people might look at you now and see these sprints rest sprints rest or they might only see the rest do you think it's like a way of passage for entrepreneurs now to earn their stripes and do those 78 hour work weeks so they can get to a point 
Or do you think you can create a business much like yours from a kind of less full on, less accelerated um, it, approach? It, it really depends on what the person wants from that business. Um, I'm happy with where the business is at at the moment. Um, the, when I say the business, I mean the apparel business because I'm the, I'm the owner and director of that business solely. Um, that business could make more money. Like it could, it could have a higher turnover. I'm happy with where it is at the moment. It pays enough for me to pay my mortgage, to have the life that I want and to uh, pay my staff a good wage and for them to have the life they want. Um, and that's all I really matter about. I get to make what I want to make and I get to have fun doing it. Um, going, I could go back to 40 or 60 hour week at work weeks and I could probably double my revenue. I, I don't want to, like I've, I've done that and I've, I've seen how that goes, but that's not, that's my journey. That's my decision. That's not everyone else's. Other people will want to make more or they may need to make more. Um, I just think that it's a, it's a symptom of the, of humans to want more and to, and to persevere and people's idea of success is based around capitalism, which is terrible for me to say because all my businesses are based on capitalism because that's how business works. But at the end of the day, it's, we should, we should find balance and, and happiness in, in, where we are and, and you sh we should understand what level that is. Um, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't know if I've found it yet. Like I've, I've, I'm very happy with where I am at the moment. That might change. Um, but I'm going into sort of the second half of uh, my life feeling that I know what I want to get from that. And that's not working all the time. And it's not uh, necessarily having like a fancy car and multiple houses and all this stuff. It's having, what I would like and, and having a good life with my wife. Did you create that mental model and this behavior change when the liquidation happened? Uh, it wasn't when the liquidation happened. It took me, it took me years after that. So, uh, the, a lot of the feelings for the first 18 months after the liquidation, uh, which is coming up for six years, six years in January that happened. So the first 18 months were very much just beating myself up, like imposter syndrome, like hating, hating myself, just, just not trusting myself either. And it took me a long time to get out with that. Um, and then I fell into the bad habits of working too hard again and trying to build this like, uh, impenetrable structure of like where I wanted to be and like, and make sure that it would never happen again. I've got multiple, uh, um, revenue avenues coming in so that I can, I, I, if something fails, I've always got a way to uh, look after myself and my family. Um, and again, it, it took me leaving my other business hard grind um, in uh, 2018 to to really kind of give myself that, to look at myself again. And because at that point I had two barber shops, a coffee shop, we were about to open the bar. I had a retail space as well at the warehouse and I was building something in Dundee. And my plan was to, I joked be the mayor of Dundee, like build this, I was trying to build this like little ecosystem of like retail and like an experiential, uh, um, shops and stuff like this and then it was all just it was all just gone overnight almost um and that kind of really kind of gave me another sort of shake up that was probably another thing that was very difficult for me at the time but it was another very uh important pivotal moment in my uh, business career um because i kind of went oh okay i've just poured my heart and soul into this for a couple of years and it's gone and i'm not actually that mad about it going like I was building this up, but what was really my end goal? Why was I doing this? Like I'm, I'm, I had this guy idea of, uh, this will be, this will benefit me when I'm 40. I'm like, well, I'm 32, 33. 
why am I taking away from my life now to have this safety net at 40, which doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily going to happen. Um, so it's not until the last three years that I've really like gone back and gone, well, let's actually, let's actually think about what I want from life and, and what I actually want to achieve. And there was, it was a year of sadness after leaving hard grind. There was a year of me, I decided to go traveling like and do loads of events all over the world before lockdown. And I just spent a lot of time sad in hotel rooms, which is <laughs> a whole different thing. Like you're trying to, you're trying to prove something to yourself, but you're actually, you need to just like take, take some time to actually like understand the symptoms of, of why you're feeling like a way. And, um, and it took me a while and it's, it's only really in, it's, you know what lockdown again is like one of the main things that really kind of got me to realize um, and to like reinforce these things that I've always felt throughout my career and just like really like zone in on it. Um, and that's come with, that's come with a confidence in my older age. That's come with, you know, getting to know myself better, being a, like communicating better with the people I love, going to therapy. Like there's a lot of things that I've been doing to sort of understand myself better and understand what I want and to be happy in myself and happy in what I'm creating. Hearing your journey, it sounds like you tied happiness to achievement and you we're enjoying what the process bought you, not the process itself at the time. Now that you have had your, you've got a wife, you've got your bars, you're well established again. Like what gets you out of bed in the morning if it's not materialism anymore? Um, it's it's creating. I, lo I love to create. Um, I love to draw. And, and when I say create, I don't just mean draw and then design. I mean, the the, the Glasgow bar is a, is, a, is a piece of artwork in itself. Well, for one, there's 150 square meters of artwork that I hand drew on it. But even just having the opportunity to be a part of that team and watching um, Astrid and Amanda um, who did the interiors and that all come together. And then the team creating these beautiful uh, meals and drinks and just the environment as itself. It's just, it's amazing to just go, yeah, this, ex this, this whole experience, this whole thing exists. Like that's what excites me. It excites me to create and to see other people enjoy what I've created. Um, and I think that however that pans out over the next 20 years for me, it won't always be bars. It won't always be art, but there'll always be something there that I love. I love, sh I love creating and sharing. Um, because at, yeah, you're right. At this point I, I, I bought a house during lockdown, which, uh, I'm happy with and I plan to be there for forever. Um, like I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a solid relationship, got my dogs. I have naps. I'm like, I'm not, I'm, I don't really need a lot more. Like I, I enjoy going out. Like once, once we can start traveling again, I'm looking forward to traveling again. Um, so that was a big part of my life before lockdown. Um, but yeah, that's, that's it. It's just, it's really just sort of that creating. And again, I know that comes from a place of, of, of privilege of like, I, yeah, I get to get up every morning and create. Like I spent the last two days painting canvases in my studio and I'm like, that's amazing. That's amazing <laughs> that I get to do that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly lucky that I get to do that. And, and that's, that's, that's the exciting thing for me. It's going, Oh, what am I going to do today? Like what, what's coming out of my head? Like what, what, what will it, what will happen? Um, it's really, it's really exciting. That sounds like it could be either empowering, which it seems for you or paralyzing. How do you kind of structure your week ahead? If, if you're at the locus of control of everything? Um, I, I don't, I don't structure it massively. I, like it depends. I go through like phases of like being very routine driven. Like in the summer, I'm usually up at five or six o'clock every morning and I get up and shower and dress and do the dishes and like think about my day. And then I work from the studio for the first few hours um, of the day. But usually by sort of like 11 or 12, I'm either done with everything I need to do work-wise. Um, and then the rest of the day is either artwork or socializing or going to the bars or meetings and stuff like that. So it's it, it's never anything too structured, even like on a structured day. 
Um, and then like last week there was, um, I had an event on Thursday night and on the Friday, on the Wednesday before that, I, t- I took the team from the warehouse out um, for a night out because we haven't had a night out in a while and they hadn't seen the Glasgow bar. So I brought them through for Glasgow and with their partners and we had like a nice night out. Um, and then on the Thursday, I went to Dundee and um, celebrated uh, my business partners opening their uh, nightclub that they opened for lockdown and then it, it hasn't opened since lockdown. Um, so like, it's all like kind of adding those little bits in and like, I'm, I'm, I'm 35 next month. So my hangovers aren't as good as they used to be. So <laughs> that kind of has to build into it and have to make sure that everything's, um, lined up. Um, but yeah, I don't structure it massively. Like sometimes I feel like I'm behind and sometimes I think like, I feel like I'm ahead. Um, the big thing for me next year is that I've just promoted my team, uh, in, a, in the abandonment apparel. Um, so I've just, I've got an operations manager now and a warehouse manager. I'm about to hire someone else. Um, and my mom's my bookkeeper. So basically the day-to-day operations of the business, I'm going to completely step away from. So I'll have a meeting on a Monday and everything that needs to be done within the business will be done by my team. Cause I trust them. I've, I've had, they've worked with me for a few years now. Um, and I believe that they're more than capable of doing it. Um, and I think that they'll bring something to the table that I maybe wouldn't because after doing this for a decade, I can get quite lazy with like, that won't work. I've done it before, or oh, I know how to do this. It's fine. I'll do this. Whereas when you bring someone new in and, and to enroll, um, they'll innovate and they'll try things and they want to put their stamp on it. And then that's interesting because they'll come and to me and ask me questions about it. And I'm like, I've never thought about that. That's great because a big part of business is working with people who are better than you. Yeah. Um, and and giving them the freedom to to really excel, to make their own mistakes, to to trust them to do that stuff. Um, and that's something I learned with working with the bars. Um, because in the bars, I'm not um, the only director in the business. I'm the creative director. So I deal with the things that I'm good at. I, the artwork, the designs, the the sort of the lifestyle aspects of the business. We have an operations director and we have a managing director. So I'm not at the top of the pecking order either. And I've really enjoyed that after being uh, sort of the, the managing director of a business and the, the owner of a business for the last decade. It's nice to have a team and to work with people. And that's really showed me that yeah, work with people who are better at things and know things and, and, and you can complement each other. One thing that stands out for me, reflecting on the liquidation of the business, now that um, obviously the tables have turned again and um, business is booming, how do you trust yourself to build a team knowing that you've had that period before and whatever happens in the future can have a reciprocal effect on the team? Now knowing that the team is such a big part of your life and uh, the future plans of the business. Yeah, How can you have trust in yourself for others to have trust in you? Well, for sure. And like, I think that uh, you have to accept that you make mistakes. Um, you have to remove ego from those mistakes. You have to hold your hand up and go, yeah, I, I fucked up. And that that's as simple as that. It's a conversation that I actually had with uh, my warehouse manager the other day. We were saying it's, it's weird. It's weird when you start thinking about it, when people get defensive, when you, when you speak to someone about something or when you, or there's a mistake, like we're all adults. I'm not getting anyone in trouble. Like that's not how it should work. Like we should be able to have a, an adult conversation about something. Um, so when people do get defensive or sarcastic or something, or like, uh, like back at you, you go, well, wh- why is that? Why are you reacting that way? Um, is it something that you have an issue with me? Is it an issue with yourself? And like, just having that conversation with someone is really good. And then, but having that conversation, having that understanding of yourself is, is really important because I can sit here and go, yeah, you know what? That won't happen again. It might. Um, I, I'm going to do everything in my power to not let it happen again. 
Um, in the last three years of a Manship Apparel, uh, we've seen consistent growth um, year on year and consistent growth in profit year on year during a particularly hard time um, in the industry. And that's down to my experience and my knowledge. And it, that's not being arrogant. That's I've done my time. I've worked in retail for a long time. We took everything back to square one three years ago and we rebuilt the way we do it. Um, and we looked at it properly and we look at all the facts and figures now. So now bringing uh, Matt, who's my operations manager, and he's been an integral part to that. So he's helped me grow that business. And there is, uh, he sees the value in the business continuing down that path um, for his own development and for and for his own success um, and also for the business. Um, and yeah, we might have bad months, but I'm now looking at the bigger picture and going over the year or the six months, six months to a year and going, okay, well, yeah, you know what? We had a bad day. It's not about bad days anymore. It's about good, good months, good periods. It's about that. Um, and it's about being smart and, and not, not necessarily always overreaching. Like sometimes you have to go for it and you have to like put yourself um, sort of on the line. Like at the moment we're going into Christmas, like this is the time for us to buy a lot of stock and to like really push ourselves out there. So yeah, it's a, it's a bit tight at the moment, but if we didn't do that, then we'd get to Christmas and we'd, we wouldn't have stock to make the money that we need to make. So you have to make those decisions and you have to take those risks, but they have to be calculated risks and you have to see an out. Um, and we're having, uh, everyone's having a bad October at the moment. I don't know if you're, if, if, if people are looking at um, the, way, the way I look at it, everyone's in sale at the moment constantly. Like you'll get emails every single day about promotions and sales. That's because everyone is screwed because everyone saw a massive uh, increase in sales last year when everyone was stuck in their house. Now everyone's going out drinking yeah. again and partying. So they're spending money elsewhere. So now all these businesses have spent more money on stock because they're trying to beat their last year's figures, whereas they're not, it's not happening. So they're now having to get rid of a lot of stock, offload a lot of stock to get new stock in to make money to pay bills. So we're in a position where we're not doing sales, we're not doing promotions. So it's, yeah, it's a tight month for the moment. And it's, but it's fine because by the end of January, we'll be fine again. We'll be laughing because I've, I've built that structure into it. And that, but that comes with a decade's worth of knowledge. Knowing that the social trends were moving away from online retail and retail to socializing because of post-COVID environments, was that part of your rationale for starting a Glasgow abandoned ship bar? Um, no, it's, 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 it's my, I, I knew it was coming. I expected the drop off in May actually, but the drop off has happened in September. But um, no, the, the bars, the bars are actually quite, it's not, it's not funny, but uh, we, we opened the first bar in Dundee and that that came about because um I was drinking in my now business partner's bars um and then became friends with the bartenders became friends with the bar managers and became friends with him I'd always joked I wanted to open a bar as my retirement plan um and from and over the last like year the year before that it was kind of like I started to really seriously think that it could be the great the best thing that could happen for the business because the bits I liked about the retail side of it was always the parties and and, and interacting with people and 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 it just made sense in my head that abandoned ship should be that 24 seven, like the lifestyle that we built on social media and through the brand and the events and the parties could turn into a business, uh, like a, a, a bar and a business. Um, and, and Phil was up for it. So, I, so we tried it and it, and it worked. Um, and then sort of a bit after that, um, I was having a really bad time with abandoned ship. Actually, um, two years ago, two and a half years ago, um, I was I was about a month away from closing the apparel down. Um, like I I I just wasn't happy. I just 
just didn't see a future that I wanted to do. Like I just felt like I'd come to the end of end of the road with abandonship apparel. Um, and I, I, I luckily that I didn't make any rash decisions. As I said, I was going to give myself two months. I was going to, um, sort everything out financially, just get it all like tied up and, and just see where I'm at. I was sober for those two months as well. I decided to go on a health kick and, and I, I go, I go through phases of not drinking for like a month for two months at a time, which is a whole control thing in itself, which is not as, it's not as healthy as it sounds. It's a whole different thing. But I decided to go to be so, I was like, I'll make the decision sober. I'll make the decision as healthy as I can, healthy mind, healthy body, make that decision. Um, and I, I, I fell back in love with the business again. Um, and then at that time, Phil was like, you know what? I think that we could do these bars across the whole of the UK. Like this, I see this as being the thing that we could do. Um, and it all kind of came about and it was, it was quite, it was quite funny and quite weird that like that it kind of happened that way because it was there was there was this tipping point that I actually applied for another job like I was like oh maybe it's time for me to go work with like someone else I applied for a job at Vans because uh, my friend works for Vans and he was and in Switzerland and I was like oh, yeah I think I could I think I could take what I've learned over the last sort of seven or eight years and, and and apply it to a bigger business I mean that could be like my next step in my journey um and luckily I never heard back from them obviously I wasn't <laughs> that good um and I gave myself that time, and during that time, Phil mentioned that to me, and uh, I was like, "Yeah, you know what? Okay, let's let's give it a go." Um, and then, yeah, that was it. That was that was kind of the, that was a turning point, another turning point in the career in my career for me. I was like, "Okay, let's let's do this," but let's I want to do it on my terms. And I think I think for the, at that point, I just got to the point where I'd just been doing t-shirts for a really long time. Um, and again, lockdown helped because it really made me think about other things to like do. Like I made the cookbook during that period and um, we were doing like uh, whiskey glass sets and just these different things. I was like, you know what, at this point in my life, like those are more things that I'm into and, and more interesting to me than maybe necessarily just being all t-shirts. Um, I think I just needed to find that spark, like any relationship, uh, uh, working with a business or having a business for so long, you do fall in and out of like how you, how you feel about it. Um, and that just kind of was that point, but, um, our plan for the bars is to open 10 across the UK in the next few years. Um, well, so we've got a two and a half year plan. So we're going to be opening London at the end of the year and then hopefully Leeds at the beginning of next year. How do you, how will you manage to have consistent ethos between the apparel brands and then those 10 bars? How can you allow the brand to bleed into them all? It, that that will be that's a, that is a difficult thing, um, and that's something that I I already am thinking about because um, the apparel business and the bar business are already two very different businesses in the way that um, every the way that everything works, and that's because there's different directors and different people different people manage different ways and different people have different um, ways of doing stuff. Um, so that's something that I'm already aware of. And there will be a, 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 there will have to always be a little bit of a separation between the two. Um, I'm finding that I'm actually aligning the apparel a little bit more with the bars than maybe the other way around. Um, with the bars, it's it the bars have kind of reignited sort of my old sort of um, ethos of like we have fun, we create. It's like it's it's a happy and 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 fun, positive environment. Like we're sharing positivity and experience. Whereas for a period in between. Um, I was talking a lot about my like own mental health journey, um, talking about sort of social issues and 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 sort of and, and having that sort of uh, like maybe there was like a, a level of anger in it. Whereas, and I'm like, that's not necessarily what the brand needs to be or or should be. 
Um, so it's actually been quite enjoyable to kind of take a step back and go, well, no, let's be a force of good. Let's be a force of positivity and enjoyment rather than necessarily like we can help people that way as well as, as, as shining lights on, on sort of mental health and stuff, because we have done uh, so much work with that. Um, and we still will continue with, with the, the slogans, like not everything sucks and stuff like that. That's obviously in massive neons above the, um, the bar. But I think for, from, from my point of view for that, like when you're talking about 10 venues, yeah, it can't be, I can't be in every 10, ven- I can't be in every venue all the time. And, um, and the team will get bigger and, and some, some messages might get lost, but um, at its core, it still will just be that experiential, like fun, positive environment. I think for me, what made it so apparent that the apparel brand and the bar were under the same entity or the same ethos was the people that work within it. Mm-hmm. I told you I went out a night out after uh, with some of your bar staff after yeah. their shift. And although they were very different people, they were all like in a similar vibe. If that makes sense. Yeah. They had huge humility. They were really caring and kind. They'd buy rounds. They were all amazing humans. When you rec- when you recruit bar staff and bar managers, do you have like certain guiding principles that you look for in them that um, are linked to the brand? Well, f- firstly, we're we're incredibly lucky with the teams that we've got on the apparel side of it and on the bar side of it. Um, and as I said, like the reason that we started opening the bars because I came became friends with the people in the bars, and like that's something that I've always really loved about bars like especially when i go across to america like the way that american bars operate and like you you sort of become pals with the bartenders and stuff like that that's something that we kind of tried to bring over to the apparel side uh, sorry the bar side um so what you're that, telling me is that you paid your bar staff to go on a night out with no, me afterwards no 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 no, no what, I'm say, what, I'm, what i'm saying is that the 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 mcmary who is uh, my business partner phil's business um who that was how i was introduced to the bars i fell in love with their bars because of because they had those team yeah. members and a lot of those team members work with abandoned ship where they're still most of them are still in the business now um so we are incredibly lucky and i think that definitely in dundee it was it was dundee such a small city that it was very easy to cultivate this um, these amazing teams um glasgow we're, we're obviously still very new to to the glasgow but yeah we the guys who are hiring for us um they've been in and around the mcmary business for a long time so they know what that what that sort of like what that um, person is like you can teach most people the skills that you need to work in these venues but like that like level of uh attention to to customers or just like that as you said humility or just genuine niceness is something that like yeah definitely we look for um and that that's why when you were asking about 10 venues i was like you know what i i hope that we have 10 venues full of people like that but until we get there we won't know because uh it's going having a couple of venues to having 10 menus is a very different machine and being in different cities is a very different machine. So yes, that's what we want across the entire board. We want people in our business who uh, might not necessarily uh, know everything about abandoned ship. Like actually when we we're hiring for Glasgow, we weren't really looking for like, like super fans or like customers or anything like that. We were looking for people who uh, more so had the, uh, the characteristics that you mentioned, but we could sort of teach them about abandoned ship. And I think when we go to like somewhere like Leeds or something like that, they don't need to necess- they don't need to know like oh, the bandage was started in 2011 and this and this and this. They don't need to read from a sheet. They just need to be nice people yeah. and, 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 and nice to customers and have, have genuine conversations and interactions with customers. Because one of my favorite things to do is still to sit at one of the bars and just talk on a, on a Tuesday night when it's quiet and just talk to the bartenders and like talk to the team and um, 
and just and just relax because I love it. Like that's one of the things I love about Dundee is that I can go to any one of the bars um, that my business partner has and I'll always have a friend there and I can always just have a drink and just relax and it's really nice. Um, and that's hopefully what we'll have when we go across the UK. On the flip side to that question, is there a specific type of clientele or customer that you want in your bar? No, we are we are inclusive to everyone. I want everyone to be part of the party. I genuinely mean that. Like, it's we're we're seeing so many new faces come to Glasgow, uh, the Glasgow bar, who probably don't even know that Abandonship Apparel exists. Mm-hmm. And I love it. I I just it's just so exciting to see people interact with this this space for the first time. Like, there's not as far as I'm aware, there's no other bars anywhere that I've had that much that level of artwork on the walls and that weirdness that I've kind of brought to it and you just I love watching people just like look at the ceiling and be like what does that mean and like reading all the weird stuff that I wrote like 5 a.m in the morning when I was designing it um and like posting about it um and it's just it's just amazing because the clientele who are in Glasgow are probably quite different to the clientele in Dundee and when we go to London it'll be the same again but no we don't I don't want anyone to think that they can't be part of the party um, because in the past people maybe thought that, oh no, you have to be, you have to have tattoos to be in there or you have to be this or that. And I'm like, it's not that. Like I, I like tattoos. A lot of the artwork is inspired by tattoos, but that's not a thing that I've ever considered to be a, a statement of being cool or not. This was my decision. Like beyond that, it's not any, it doesn't affect how I think about people. I've barely been out your bars over the last few weeks, mate. I've been back in the office and I've been socialising with mates in Glasgow that I've not seen in so long in your bars. And the first thing everyone looks at is the ceiling because one of the examples I think is I heard aliens abducted you but gave you back because you're a gobshite. <laughs> like I, I couldn't stop laughing at that and I felt compelled to send a picture to my group chat. It was those provocative statements intentional so people would look up, take a picture, post it on social media, gain traction. Is that where you're... Like, is, uh, it's not is, necessarily about social media, but it was definitely intentional for to make people like laugh and to like look at the ceiling and stuff. Um, because the the progression of my mural work was uh, like creating like this like sort of like sprawling canvas of like different pieces that like when you look at it, your eyes don't focus on any one particular bit. And then like you'll zoom in and see something, you see something new all the time. And that's how it started. And it was like, it was, I wasn't sedate, but it was a bit more like sort of positive, like good vibes only and everything sucks. Like just a bit more like that. And that's still a lot of the way I do it for like maybe clients and for, and for uh, like sort of other bits and pieces, like drawing like big sharks and wolf heads and stuff like that, which there's lots of them in the bar anyway. But when we came to the Dundee bar, that was a bit different um, because I was very, very aware that people are going to be in there spending a lot of time in there and drinking. And I was like, you know what, let's have some fun with this. So just like writing things that didn't really make sense or like would be like, or like in jokes or anything like that. Like there's something on the Vanship bar that says like turnip king. <laughs> I don't know what the turnip king is. I just wrote it and I was just, and, but you see people. And then, and from that, when people came in, because obviously we've been open almost for years. So like I spent a lot of time in that bar just watching people like laugh and it's people of all ages, like just like random people just like looking and just like, and they go, and they just like, <laughs> And I'm just, it's just great. They're just like, what, what does that mean? And like, it says like on like the Dundee wall, Tony, I'm going to fight you. <laughs> and then in the Glasgow wall, it says, Tony, I still want to fight you. And it's just, it's just, it's just dumb stuff like that. Um, and it's, it's just, and then with the, when we did the Glasgow one and we did the ceiling, um, I just wanted to kind of like, like add to that again. Um, like with the Bannon ship bar in Glasgow, um, we're, 
not over 18s. Uh, we're over 18s at the bar, but not the rest of it. So the rest of it doesn't really have any swear words in it, but the ceiling and at the bar does because that's the only place I've, <laughs> I was like, a kids kids are shorter, so they can't see the ceiling as well. And there's like a warning when you go in, it's like, by the way, just so you know, there's swear words on the ceiling, but um, kids shouldn't really be in that section. So like, that's where I kind of like went, went a bit uh, looser. Like you don't need to swear to like, to make the jokes, but it does, gobshite's a great word. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just for me, it was just like, writing all this stuff and just like making it super weird and like with the ceiling as well like there's no direction to it so it's like you have to like twist your head around and see stuff so it's it's like really like um it's like really like weird and confusing and even more intense than the walls is there not a statement where you i can't remember the exact wording but it's like your boyfriend your husband blah 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 you should murder him and then there's a disclaimer somewhere else saying that the bar staff don't condone murdering or something uh, like that it's yeah so yes yeah, so that's 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 a story so there's so many stories to all these things so it says uh, stop listening to murder podcasts and just kill him already and then astrid who um uh, is like the head of like um design for for the bars so she does all the interiors and stuff she was like I think you should probably cover that. Like, I don't want someone getting murdered and it's our fault. So I put a disclaimer underneath that the management does not condone the murdering of anyone, even if they deserve it. Um, and yeah, it's just stuff like that. Like, it's just like in jokes and bits and pieces. But yeah, it was just because uh, a lot of the stuff I wrote. Um, so what I would do, so I'd have a little bit of privacy when I was doing it because I'd have to be like up ladders and like like rolling around. I listen to music when I'm doing it. Um, and we had people working. So I was like working around everyone building the bar because um, it was a massive project. So I'd go in at 5 a.m. So I'd do like five till 10 shifts. So I would do like five hours in the morning and then by then I'm pretty burnt out. I can only usually do about six or seven hours of like mural work because then my brain starts to go a little bit weird. Um, so I was drawing all this stuff at like 5 a.m. on my own, listening to like music or listening to murder podcasts or like stuff, just like loads of random stuff. So like a lot of the stuff I've forgotten what I've written. So I go past stuff and I go, oh, that's quite funny. Like there's like a lasso uh, no, I like a lasso love heart on the on the stairwell and it says not yours K-N-O-T and I'm like oh, that's pretty good and I was like don't remember doing that but I was like oh, I'm pretty pleased myself on that one and it's just there's loads of stuff like that um, because it's such, it was such a big project and like you, like it just it was just kind of sort of endless it took me like two months to do so um, I was in there last night because I'm in the bar as much as I can be at the moment um, just taking photos of stuff and being like yeah I don't remember right now <laughs> Mate you've had so much fun with it recently and you obviously have this two-year plan of expanding the bars tenfold do you think rich as rich davis evolves even more beyond that two years do you think you'll just find a way to monetize your creativity or your passions for example you've had barber shops apparel companies restaurants and bars do you think you can monetize any creative endeavor yeah like i think for a long time there was always that kind of thought process of yeah i can monetize because that's how capitalism works you're like oh well i'm good at this i can monetize this or oh i'll do this i love this let's do that and then i think i'll probably try and do less so as i get older like i want to have some things that are just for me um it's difficult to know like i've i've, I've always worked in fairly like i guess trendy or like popular like industries like i've worked in the retail sector and i've seen it it's rise and fall i've worked in the barbering industry and seen its rise and fall i even had a tattoo apprenticeship for a period of time and i've seen that's that rise and fall and then the bars there'll be a rise and fall of the bars as well and it's all very um yeah it's it's all this thing of like yeah that none of these are necessarily going to last forever like most bars maybe only have like a 10 15 year run apparel brands god i'm i'm surprised i'm still here at 10 years like that's that's wild so i don't know i don't know when the end of the apparel would be um but i think realistically going forwards 
for me, my future is in the arts. My future is in, in doing the mural work or, or, or creating. And that's, that's where I see my future beyond the bars. Um, because the bars won't be forever. The apparel won't be forever. I'm 35 next month. I'd like to think that uh, at 40, I'll, I'll know what my next step is. I'm not rushing to the next step though. Um, I'm just, I'm going to enjoy the next two and a half, three and a, three and a half years and, and the game plan that we've got set ahead of ourselves. Um, and just, and just really sort of soak that up because as I've said, there's been periods in my life where I didn't actually give myself time to reflect and enjoy, um, as much as I should, like I, I probably should have stepped back a couple of times when I was in Thailand or in New York and being like, this is wild. But at the time I was just like a million things to do and like running ahead with myself. And now I just, I, I just, I, I just don't think I take anything for granted anymore. I just, I, I live in this like very surreal world that um of my own making that i just i just love uh i just love every not you can't love every minute of it but i'm definitely the happiest i've i've, I've been in probably my adult life at this point and which is which is a, a higher level of success than uh having a lot of money in my bank mate i'm happy for you one thing that i admire about you is how your creativity bleeds onto yourself like the way you dress your, your tattoos your jewelry very unconventional especially for someone who grew up in dundee uh do you how, how much of being authentic is important to you and like have you been ever discarded in entrepreneurialism and business because of the way you compose yourself and you dress um well the, firstly I, I don't think i've ever i don't think i've ever been um i, I don't think the way i the way i look or the way i'm dressed has ever been a, a detriment to me i think being a six foot four uh guy who dresses weird and has tattoos and uh, long hair now and metal teeth and all this stuff is probably to my benefit because I'm hard to forget um, and I always try and be nice as well which is a massive thing so uh, people can at least be like well that weird guy is at least nice um, uh, the operational director was uh, trying to describe me to someone the other day. he's like yeah he's the guy that draws on walls and the guy went you mean the really tall long haired tattooed guy and he went yeah that's him yeah yeah easier to say that way um and from a point of view of like how how sort of how I dress and how how I present myself, like when I was growing up in Dundee, I used to get like slagged a lot when I was a kid, like crying and stuff because I would always dress weirdly and people didn't really get it. And I lost a little bit of sense of that, um, but obviously not that much. I've been getting tattooed since I was seventeen. Um, but it took me uh, until my thirties to really feel comfortable in in what I do and how I dress. Um, there's a lot to be said for the negativity of toxic masculinity. Um, when I was younger, I wasn't necessarily effeminate, um, but I definitely wasn't a typical, what people expected in the nineties to be a, a boy. Like I, I, I have no like sense of balance. So can't really do many sports, not very good on a bike, like not very macho, like cry a lot. Cause I'd get bullied and, 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 uh, people just make assumptions, people make assumptions based on that or like how you dress and stuff like that. And, and it can be a lot. And then you put this sort of this, you attach like these weird, like, uh, like this weird anger to people defining you a certain way. So you're not comfortable in who you are. And it's like this weird thing of like, well, what is being masculine? It's such a weird concept in itself. And it's so dangerous to like, to try and get caught up in that. Um, and yeah, in my furries now, I feel comfortable in, in what I dress. Like, I've always dressed how, how I feel, but even more so now. Like, and, and lockdown kind of gave me a bit of a, a better understanding of that because I spent a lot of time on my own and I, felt a lot, I spent a lot of time being feeling comfortable in myself. Um, 
And yeah, I, it's, I wouldn't be able to, um, I can't sit here and say that I don't care what people think about me because that's not true. Everyone I think does to a degree. But uh, when it comes to my fashion choices or how I, how I present myself, I, I don't care really uh, for, the, for the most part. Like I, I felt so uh, self-conscious about wearing rings that it took me six years to get to the point of wearing rings daily. And I was like, why? That's so crazy. Like I've got my nails painted now. I go, I go and me and my wife go and get our nails painted together once a month. It's like a date that we do. And we've, we've only been doing a couple of months and you know what? It's really nice. Like why is a guy getting his nails painted weird? It's not, it's not weird at all. It shouldn't even be a, a point of discussion for people. It should just be something that if I want to do it, I want to do it. Like it's no weirder than me having tattoos or having uh, like uh, a, a metal tooth. It's, it doesn't, it doesn't change who I am or, or my, or my, or my, uh, my, my business expertise or anything like that um or or my perceived masculinity yeah i absolutely love that like that's my my trailer clip <laughs> um based on that response and based on your reflections of our business for the last decade if you could go back in time the standard podcast question if you go back in time and speak to young rich davies who's working in shoe four hours a week contracted what advice would you give him to gear him up for the future knowing what you know now it's funny, it's funny you say that actually, because I was actually thinking about this the other day. I was like, at 36, everyone should be able to go back and speak to their 18 year old self. Like you should just be able to go back 18 years and just have a conversation and just be like, honestly, everything that you think is important is fucking <laughs> dumb. Like it's crazy. Like uh, when you're 17 or 18, like you have all these things that you're like, oh, this is like the most important thing ever and this and that. And it's like, it's not, it's not like you're still, there's still so much to learn. And so like, don't don't stress and don't run ahead like just just enjoy that um it's difficult it's diff it's different because when i was 17 like social media was a different thing and like and, and people's understanding of mental health and everything was a different thing and and look at, and i'd love to go back and like actually see what kind of state that kid was in but from my point of view i have no regrets about anything in my life like like the way that the like my career has transpired and and the way it's all got, it's uh, the way it's all gone there's been so many highs and so many lows, but they're shaped me and got me to where I am. And I'm not mad about that because you know what, maybe things have had differently. I would have been here earlier or things have gone differently. I would never have got to this point and I would be oblivious to, um, to a lot of stuff. Um, but this is the life that I've been, this life I've, I've carved out for myself is the life I have. I honestly, I, I've said I'm turning 35 um, next month and I feel like it's such a pivotal point in my life. I don't, I don't know why I've, I've got this thing like a lot of people stress about 30 or 40 and I'm like 35 just feels like this really nice period where like the first 35 years of my life were training the next 35 years 35 years or, or more or less whatever is about enjoying like it just feels like there's just this like this tipping point now and it's just like I see it like almost like a, a like as a an end of a chapter um and it feels very much like an end of a chapter for abandon ship uh as well because we've been doing this for 10 years we're coming up to the end of our 10th um anniversary year and the, the new bars just opened we're opening the next bar and it just feels like everything's kind of moving on um and i'm so excited and i'm, I'm so excited to put an put an end to this chapter and i know that a birthday is not really a thing i've never I've, i'm having a first birth my first birthday party in 12 years so that shows how much of a big deal i think it is but i know it's not it's just an arbitrary day but for me it just there just feels like a very much a sense of finality to that part of my life um from when I was 17, when I first got that job, left college and got that job to now that it feels like that's, that was a, 
maybe a couple of chapters in there, but that was like part of it. And then the next pit is going to be hopefully me feeling comfortable in myself, enjoying what I've achieved and, and of what I've built for myself and, and taking it to the next level and, see, and seeing what the next opportunities arise or it could all go terribly wrong. And I'm <laughs> working for Deliveroo in the next six months. And, and that's, that's fine. I'll, I'll take that in my stride and, and uh, yeah. And just, yeah, see what we'll see what's next. Mate, I love that whole narrative. You and your message to me when I asked you to come on the podcast, you felt I, th- I think you felt compelled because your birthday was coming up to come on the podcast and be so transparent and tell the whole journey. And I really appreciate that you have came by and done exactly that. It's been a great episode. What's next for the London bar? What should we expect from it and when's it opening? Well, firstly, thank you. I I, I really appreciate you asking me. Like um and, and yeah, it does. It, it it felt like a really like if this feels like a nice part of of this whole end of of it like it's nice to just like look back and think about everything um for the for the london bar what's next with it is hopefully opening on the 9th of december i'm not gonna say hope we're opening on the 9th (laughs) of december um because we've set that as a hard date um it's it's a smaller space than the glasgow bar so basically our first foot into england and into london um and it's gonna be um a really like nice sort of uh personal space um for the bar it's in Covent Garden on Neil Street which is obviously like a very like well-known street there's a lot of cool things on that street there's a lot of cool things around that area um I love uh London I've lived in London I've had stores in London um it's been a big part of my uh career and life um so to be able to open the bar there or on our first bar there but we'll probably end up having two or three bars in London that's that's the uh, the long-term goal um but to have this space just feels like really nice again it feels like a full circle moment um, cause we had a store in, in Soho for six months as a pop-up, um, and just taking this to the next level and going, okay, cool. And because it's smaller, I think it'll be a really enjoyable sort of learning curve bar for us to go into, uh, into the city, because it means that it'll be a much more personal experience for customers and, and just, I just, it'll just be really nice. I just, I'm just really looking forward to it. Um, I, I won't get to see uh, much of it until the end of November cause everyone's still working on it at the moment. So I'll, uh, I'll be going in sort of last thing to uh, to draw on all the walls once uh, once it's all up to that point. But the the team's been in London last like a couple of times the last couple of weeks, and I'm I'm jealous of them getting to be around it. Um, so yeah, I, I just can't wait. I, I hope to spend a lot more time in London uh, once it opens and, and prop up that bar as, as well as the other ones. I need to pick my battles now, though. I've got uh, got to try and find time between Dundee. Glasgow and uh, and London now so <laughs> your three kids <laughs> yeah I know I know and then the fourth one in the new year so it'll be uh it'll, it that'll, that'll be an interesting thing as well like it's I, I'm not able to just like jump in a car uh, jump in a taxi or, or get on a train and, and be in the bar um because at the moment with a ba- with a ship Glasgow I'm, I'm trying to be in there a couple of times if not uh more than that a week mm-hmm. even if it's just to like jump in and, and have some food or have a pint and then leave just be in there for like 20 minutes half an hour um, and that'll be a different thing with with the London bars and the next ones because I won't have that opportunity. And I'm even seeing it with Dundee. Like I, I'm only up in Dundee maybe once a month uh, in the bar at the moment now because I go up to Dundee for work, but I can't go into the bar every time because usually I'm driving and I'm just and uh, it doesn't really always work out that way. So um, yeah, it'll be an it'll be an interesting uh, uh, change of pace. See how it goes. Economically, I hope I'm not in your London bar as much as I currently am in your, your Glasgow bar. <laughs> I mean, it's good to know when you're in London. It's good. To, you, it's good to know you've got an option to go to it. You know, you yeah, know it's yeah. there then. Um, but no, it's good. It's, it's also good to like uh, be up against like that London competition as well. Like I love competition. I think that it's healthy. I think that with the street that we're on in Glasgow, uh, 
we've benefited that street because mm-hmm. that street's got strong competition on it. Like we're, we're um, across from Sugo and uh, we've got Tingle, which is an institution that's been there forever. Um, we've got Franco Manca that's just opened, which is like obviously a, a sort of UK wide uh, pizza place. We've got Diamond Dolls, which again is another institution. That neon sign is, is uh, sort of iconic. Um, and I really love that we're on that street. It just feels it just feels great, and it feels like that we're bringing something to it. Um, and when we come to London, I think that I hope that we can do the same. I hope that we're bringing something exciting and fresh, and that uh, our neighbours and the community really appreciate it. Um, that it's not just necessarily like a pilgrimage for uh, people who love our brands, but it's also um, introducing people to the brand as well for the first time. Oh mate, I love it. If people have tuned in and enjoyed the first thirty fives years of Richard Davis and they want to be on a part of the journey for the next 35 years can people reach out to you online and follow you and where can they find you yeah of course um so uh Instagram is always the easiest I guess I have my love hate relationship with Instagram but that's fine but um yeah I've got a few accounts so uh my personal account is Richard underscore abandonship uh you can follow abandonship apparel you can follow abandonship bar and abandonship art as well um, and you can also check out uh, the Abandonship Bar's sister bra- uh, sister bar if you're Glasgow-based, uh, The Luchador, which is The Luchi Bar uh, on Instagram. Um, and that's got a secret bar downstairs called Mr. Lincoln, which we've not even talked about this. Yeah, so that's a whole other business that um, yeah that we've got. That um, We opened that bar at the beginning of the year. We opened it. Uh, we got the keys during lockdown. So we, we built it during lockdown. We can talk about that in the London bar in episode two. Yeah, yeah, that's a, yeah that sounds good. Yeah, give me give me six months for loads of things to go wrong and right. <laughs> and I'll, I'll come back and do another one. I'll have a completely different outlook on life. I'll just be like, ah, everything is terrible. Oh, what did, why, why was I so naive? Um, yeah, and uh, I guess yeah, I'll, I'll probably need to go back and listen to that last podcast I did to see uh, uh, my growth, <laughs> my journey in the last 18 months as well. Oh, I love it, mate. Thanks for stopping by. No worries, I get you. Honestly, thank you for having me. I really, I, I enjoy doing this.